The Jeep Wrangler 4xe. It's electrified. Boogie, boogie, boogie. So you can boogie, woogie, woogie up a mountain, boogie. over creeks, or boogie, woogie, woogie through a desert where you get bit by a pit viper. So you boogie, woogie, woogie back to camp and ask your friends if they'll suck the snake venom out. When they say no, you boogie, woogie, woogie to the nearest hospital for a dose of anti-venom and boogie, woogie, woogie your way to a full recovery. The electrified Jeep Wrangler 4xe. Learn more at jeep.com. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. It's the scariest time of year. No, not tax season. It's Halloween time, and I'm breaking down some of my favorite horror franchises, starting with my favorite right now. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan Merle, and if you don't think that tax season is the scariest time of the year, just wait a little while. But this is also one of my other favorite times of the year, which is Halloween. I was not a huge horror movie fan until a few years ago. Great credit to my wonderful partner in life, Mara Kanopic, for bringing me into the fold. But there's one franchise that really predated even my newer found love for horror, and that's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And this year, in celebration of Halloween, I decided to do some ranking videos for some of my favorite franchises, or some franchises that I just thought it would be kind of interesting to watch all the movies and rank. But Nightmare on Elm Street was always going to be the first one that I did because with the exception of really two movies, which we'll talk about very shortly, I love watching every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I really think this franchise is unlike any other one. Just the imagination, Freddy Krueger as a horror icon. I love so much about these films and it was such a pleasure to revisit so many of them in preparation for doing this list. So I am going to rank these movies from number nine all the way to number one. This includes all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, including the remake, including Freddy vs. Jason. And when we're looking particularly at these bottom two spots, there were a couple of movies that were kind of jostling for what is my lowest ranked Nightmare on Elm Street film. And so for the tiebreaker, I went for the movie that I don't really think is a Nightmare on Elm Street film. It's just an imitation of one. And that is the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was produced by Platinum Dunes when they were doing all of the horror franchises, apparently. And I'll tell you first and foremost why this movie is the bottom. It's largely because the character of Freddy Krueger doesn't work. And if Freddy doesn't work in your movie, then you've got some big problems. I don't know, Jesse. You think you could turn back time? One of the big reasons why I don't think Freddie works, no disrespect to Jackie Earl Haley, I think he was an interesting choice for the role, but they take for Freddie one of the subtexts that was underneath the surface in the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Namely, that Freddie wasn't just a child murderer, but that Freddie was also a child molester. That was always lingering underneath, but with a couple of little kind of Easter egg things here, they never really said that in the original series. You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. And I think that being unspoken allowed you in some sense to see Freddy as this malevolent but also funny character. Here they put the darkest parts of Freddy Krueger unambiguously right up in front. And also because this is a movie from the early 2010s, when you did a franchise film, everything had to be connected. So Nancy wasn't just being menaced by Freddy Krueger, but she and her friends were also victims of Freddy Krueger. I think what this did, both of these changes, is to take any kind of fun or sinister glee that you might have watching Freddy Krueger out of the character. It sucked everything, the charisma out of it, and you're just looking at this horrible monster. Little Nancy. 
And yes, Freddy is a horrible monster, but there was always this sort of undercurrent where you're kind of having fun along with Freddy, just a little bit, especially in the middle part of the franchise. Here you don't have any of that, but that's not the only reason that the movie doesn't work. Like I mentioned, this is a Platinum Dunes remake, so it has that same kind of gritty, sepia tone feel that all of their other films did. One of the great things about the Nightmare on Elm Street films is their style. I think the best ones had a real inventiveness to what they were doing. And here there are a couple of cool stylistic touches, but the vast majority of what you're seeing in this movie is mostly recycled beats almost exactly from the original Nightmare on Elm Street and various sequels. Add into that the fact that there are some really horrendous digital effects in this movie. Freddy coming out of the wall over Nancy's bed looks so much worse than the practical effect that they did back in the 1980s. I'm pretty sure that some of Freddy's face is also digital, which is another thing that I don't like. I really don't like the redesign on Freddy. I know that they're going for some kind of a practical thing where he looks like a real burn victim, but he looks kind of like a cat. It just doesn't really work. Tag. You're it. Maybe the most frustrating thing about this film is that it briefly experiments with some interesting ideas. There is at one point a question of whether Freddy Krueger was actually guilty of the crimes for which the parents of Elm Street burned him. How do you know he was guilty? Oh my God. You killed an innocent man. <laughs> What if in this version of Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy didn't do it and that's kind of his motivation? Well, it turns out that that wasn't true. They have this thing where the characters take micro naps so that the dream world kind of intrudes briefly into the real world and you have little flashes of Freddy as people zone in and out of sleep. I thought that was a really interesting thing, but they only really do something with it in one scene. The depiction of Freddy being hunted down by the Elm Street parents and burned is maybe the best depiction of that event in any Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But I think this movie is ultimately dragged down by the conflicting goal of radically reinventing Freddy Krueger while also recycling the greatest hits of the franchise and expecting audiences to think that it's fresh again. So that's why the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street lands in the bottom spot. Now for each of these movies, I'm gonna give you a few of my favorite things. The best Freddy one-liner, the best Freddy kill. I'm going to rate Freddy's death in each of these movies. And then in later films, I'm also going to keep count of one of Freddy's favorite insults to throw at his victims, but we're not quite there yet. So let's start with the best Freddy one-liner. And as I mentioned, Freddy doesn't really quip very effectively in this movie. So I've really got to go with a very simple thing that actually kind of accompanies one of the better scares in the film. As far as the best Freddy kill in this movie, he only actually kills three or maybe four people in this film. If the last scene of the movie isn't a dream, then the best kill easily goes to Freddy coming through the mirror and stabbing Nancy's mom in the face with his claws and then pulling her back through the mirror. It's probably the best moment in the movie, if I'm being honest, and it's the very last thing that you see. If that is a dream sequence, then I guess I'll go with the death of Thomas Decker's character in the boiler room, where Freddy just puts his claw through the middle of his chest. It's a kill that we've seen before, but in a movie that doesn't have a whole lot of great kills, you gotta go with what you can find. And as for Freddy's death, this movie ends really Really abruptly, Nancy pulls Freddy into the real world, and there's not much of a fight before Freddy is just hacked with a paper cutter. Yes, that's literally how Freddy Krueger dies in this movie. It's because you're in my world now, bitch. <laughs> 
Also, after Nancy cuts off his hand and slits his throat, she then burns Freddy Krueger's body again, which in my mind is the best way to ensure that Freddy is going to come back and haunt you. Freddy's death, right down to the one-liner from Nancy, is also pretty much a direct ripoff of Freddy's death from a different movie that we're going to talk about later. So really, I would give this on a scale of zero to four claws, zero claws, but because of so many other reasons, I'm going to give Freddy's death a symbolic one claw, and I'm pretty sure you can see which claw it is. Oh God, no, just me. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE, it's electrified. Boogie, boogie, boogie. So you can boogie, woogie, woogie into the forest. Boogie. Boogie, woogie, woogie through the mud. Or boogie, woogie, woogie to work, where you boogie, woogie, woogie down the hall to your boss's office to tell him you quit. Shortcut the boogie. Then you boogie, woogie, woogie to the elevator as he boogie, woogie, woogies after you, begging, please, take me with you. Boogie. The electrified Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. Learn more at Jeep.com. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Let's move on to my number eight movie. It's really the only other Nightmare on Elm Street movie that I don't enjoy watching that much. And it is the last movie, quote unquote, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare from 1991. After five movies in seven years, the studio New Line decided that really the only thing that could get people back into seats is to kill the character off for good. It didn't actually turn out to be that way. Now, I've seen some opinion pieces that are sort of reassessing this movie as a kind of kitschy, self-aware, knowingly bad film. Ow! I do not agree with those pieces. I just think that this is a really, really bad movie. Within five minutes, Freddy is playing the Wicked Witch of the West, and his transformation into hack comedian is fully realized in Freddy's Dead. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little soul, too! <laughs> Now, like the remake, there is a kernel of an interesting idea in this movie, which is that these kids from a troubled youth shelter visit Springwood, Ohio, which is Freddy's stomping grounds, and they find that the town is completely devoid of kids and the adults have all kind of gone crazy. And if they'd done something with that concept, this movie could have jumped up the list a little bit more, but they don't really. The most they really do with it is a cameo from Roseanne and Tom Arnold, which in the early 90s was quite the get. I want my children back. You know they bring him. We also get a cameo from Alice Cooper as Freddy's abusive dad. There's some early Brecken Meyer and some Yafet Koto, so, you know, they're in it at least. We also get Johnny Depp in an anti-drug PSA where Freddy hits him in the face with a frying pan. Questions? Yeah! What are you on? Freddy's Dead actually does one of the worst things you can do in a horror film, which is that it mythologizes the character and gives you all of these reasons for why he's Freddy Krueger. They promised me that. They, the dream people, the ones that gave me this job. Whatever. We also learned that Freddy had a kid who was taken from him, and I do like the idea that his daughter is going to take the idea of Freddy to this youth shelter, and that's kind of how Freddy comes back to life since all the kids in Springwood are gone, but they don't develop it very much. Every town has an Elm Street. <laughs> it should also be noted that Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, was a 3D movie. They really wanted to get people into the theater. So they have 3D glasses that are actually written into the movie. But when you're watching it at home, you get that exquisite pleasure of watching a movie that was meant to be seen theatrically in 3D, but at home is not in 3D. So the bad effects just look five times worse. Check out this knife. 
put that away. Honestly, I'm really glad that they did bring Freddy back a couple more times because if this had been Robert England's last chance to play Freddy Krueger, it would have been a really bad way to go out. The makeup on Freddy's not very good. It's dull. It's unfunny. The effects are bad. Sure, it is a cheesy movie, but not cheesy enough for me to watch it in that entertaining way. To name the best Freddy one-liner, honestly, Freddy's jokes in this movie are pretty bad, and not in that good-bad way, more in the bad-bad kind of way. Nice hearing from you, Carlos. So I'm actually going to give it to a throwaway line that Freddy says while he's playing his own video game. Great graphic. When it comes to the best Freddy kill, Freddy's pretty tame in this movie. He only kills three characters, but these are all pretty elaborate. A lot of people would say the video game death of Breckenmeyer, but I'm actually going to go with his murder of the character Carlos. Freddy alters his hearing aid so it becomes like a Freddy hearing aid, and he does things like drop pens to torture Carlos, and then he scratches his Freddy claws against the chalkboard until Carlos's head blows up. This is also the first time that I can reference another run encounter that I'm going to be doing for these different movies, and that's Freddy's use of the word bitch. He loves to call people bitch. He only uses it one time in this movie. This bitch. But we will see it a lot more in the previous films in this franchise and a couple of the later films as well. I also love that this would go on to inspire one of my favorite characters from Rick and Morty, Scary Terry. Looks like some sort of legally safe knockoff of an 80s horror character. I'm Scary Terry. You can run, but you can't hide, bitch. Freddy's death in this movie is actually pretty dumb. His daughter jams a pipe bomb in his chest and then he blows up with this weird morphing head thing and then these really bad 3D demons. He does get off one last one-liner though. Kids. And the movie ends with a roll credits name drop of the movie's title. Freddy's dead. So for pure cheesiness, I'm gonna give this one and a half claws. Mm. Now I'm playing with power. Now we move into the Nightmare on Elm Street movies that I enjoy watching on some level or other, but this is kind of the lower part of this tier. It's my number seven pick, and it's A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which was really coming off some high highs for the franchise. This is the movie that directly preceded Freddy's Dead and inspired the studio to kill him. The third Freddy film in three years, and you could tell that they were really coasting on fumes here. And it's really a bummer, because as I mentioned, this movie really came at a point where the franchise was at its top, or at least plateauing at a pretty high level. This, I think, was definitively the point where Freddy Krueger passed his prime and started to spiral into self-parody. The Dream Child also has one of the most confusing plots of any of the Nightmare films. We have the returning character of Alice from the last film, who sees Freddy getting reborn in a dream world where he's resurrected, but Alice is also pregnant with a child, and when Alice dreams, she sees her unborn baby as an older kid who's the kid who didn't think that raptors were very scary in Jurassic Park, and apparently Freddy is going to feed the baby souls to make it himself reborn, or something like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Wait, now, wait a second. Now, now, how could he must have dreamt himself up. I don't know. Honestly, neither the story nor the style of this film makes sense. There's one scene in Alice's bedroom where the characters are arguing and the camera just seems to be moving around at random. I have no idea what the motivation behind that was. We do get a little bit of Freddy Krueger's backstory. His mother, Amanda Krueger, plays a really crucial part in capturing Freddy's spirit in the underworld. But overall, this is really just a messy and confusing movie that seems like 
a cynical attempt to just make a Freddy movie to make some money, more so than any of the other Nightmare movies. When it comes to the best Freddy one-liner, again, this is not really the sharpest of movies, so I have to go with the line he spouts out right after his own rebirth. It's a This is a pretty bitchy Freddy movie because we get two spoken bitches. We'll see, bitch. Bon appetit, bitch. And then the rare written bitch via a note on Alice's refrigerator. When it comes to the best Freddy kill, Freddy actually starts slowing down after a couple of really big, heavy kill movies. So there's only three major kill sequences in this film. There's a really weird kill where Freddy makes Alice's boyfriend merge with a motorcycle and causes him to crash his truck, while also voicing what I often used to say to myself on New Year's Eve. Back here! Damn. But honestly, I think I've got to give it to Freddy's aha-esque murder of the character Mark, who he pulls into his own drawing and then cuts into paper ribbons. It's able to overcome the silliness of bringing in a character called Super Freddy, barely. Told ya, comic books was bad for ya. And rating the Freddy death, this one is a super weird one. So Freddy is like impaled by the tongue of the dream version of Alice's grown-up fetus, which causes his victim's soul to eject from his back and pull a baby Freddy out of his body. And then the baby is taken by Freddy's mother, Amanda. Honestly, it's super weird, but just for sheer creativity, I'm gonna give it two and a half claws out of four. What I can't figure out is how he's getting in when I'm awake. Do unborn babies dream? Next up in my number six spot is a movie that may not be one of the best Nightmare on Elm Street films. Let's be honest, it's not. But it is definitely one of the most interesting. And that is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, which is either a lackluster follow-up to the original film or a psychologically rich metaphor for coming out. I'll let you decide. Who is doing this to you? Fred Krueger! He's inside me and he wants to take me again! It's kind of crazy that this was the follow-up to the original Nightmare on Elm Street film because it's so different from that movie. It's about Freddy trying to possess a young boy named Jesse. It's a super heady movie and it doesn't really work, but I do have to give him props for trying something different. This is also the last movie in the numbered Elm Street series with a fully sinister Freddy before the quips really started flowing. In retrospect, though, I think Freddy probably wishes that somebody else had moved into Nancy's house. Jesse is not the best candidate. Jesse's also quasi-dating his friend Lisa, whose defining character trait is looks like Meryl Streep, but he's maybe definitely dating his best friend, Grady, the jock. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. This movie is full of super weird stuff, like the fact that Jesse runs into his abusive gym teacher in the middle of the night at a leather bar, which is never really brought up again because the gym teacher is then tied up and slashed to death naked. Yeah, and you thought Hellraiser was kinky. This is a super weird movie and really uneven, but it gets elevated to this point on the list for a couple of reasons. It still has some really cool visuals and some genuinely creepy moments. I loved when Jesse's room was melting in one of his dreams, and it has one of the best and most iconic Freddy moments of all time. You are all my children now. 
But this movie's also very convoluted and doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and it largely keeps Freddy in the real world where it's not quite as fun. He's either murdering by possessing Jesse, or at one point he actually like makes Jesse turn into him like a werewolf. So Freddy's in the real world, but he also still has supernatural powers. Like I said, don't try to really keep track of anything in this movie because you're not going to be successful. Honestly, if it weren't for the allegedly unintended subtext, then this movie might not be as good as it is. But that subtext is definitely there. And this movie also does some great things with practical effects. And when we're looking at things like Best Kill, there are only two Freddy kills in this movie that are of major characters. Freddy does hack and slash at this pool party at the end. But talking about the major set pieces, both of them are murders that are committed by Jesse as he's being possessed by Freddy. <laughs> But the movie visualizes it in some cool ways, and the best kill of the movie I'm giving to one of my favorite effects in the entire franchise, which is when Freddy splits and comes out of Jesse's body completely to murder Grady. So even though it is Jesse in the real world that's killing Grady, we see this great visual. I mean, yes, it is somewhat dated by today's standards, but I think it still holds up pretty well, and it is a horrifying visual. This is early Freddy, so there is no bitch count for this movie. It's also when he really wasn't quipping that much, so for the best Freddy line, I, I just have to go with the one that everyone knows. You are all my children now. As for Freddy's death in this movie, he's basically defeated by the power of love. Lisa kisses Freddy, and then he burns and melts, and then Jesse's inside of the burnt Freddy skin, sort of like Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver at the end of Ghostbusters. I really am not on board with this concept, but by virtue of the fact that Freddy, A, does technically die, and B, there are some cool, practical, melting Freddy effects, I'll give this death half a claw. It's all over. So now we're moving into movies that I unreservedly will say that I enjoy. And this movie's actually a little further down the list than I had anticipated, but when I was re-watching and revisiting it, I realized that I think it's very heavily dependent on another main character. And while there is some great Freddy stuff in it, that does hold it back a little bit on the Nightmare on Elm Street list. And that is number five, Freddy vs. Jason. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who are not fans of this movie, but I am unapologetic about the fact that I think that this is a really fun movie. Yes, it is extremely dated. The soundtrack alone has preserved this movie in the early 2000s like a mosquito trapped in amber. But I think that this is actually a pretty brilliant setup for a Freddy vs. Jason movie. I know that they were working forever to try to figure out a concept. Freddy has been forgotten by everybody in Springwood, and he decides that he needs to whip up some fear again. So he poses as Jason Voorhees' mother and sends Jason to Springwood to kill a bunch of teenagers so that everybody will think that Freddy Krueger's out there again, people will remember who he was, and he can go back to haunting people's dreams. And I love this idea, the idea that Freddy and Jason are really on Jason's end, kind of unwitting allies for a time. And then as Jason starts to kill all the teenagers that Freddy's supposed to be killing, then Freddy turns on Jason and you get this conflict between the two of them. No! She's mine! I think that's a really clever idea, and it's one of the main reasons why I like this movie so much, is it really doesn't seem like a stretch for how you're going to have these two characters fight each other. Now, this isn't a perfect movie. First of all, there is one character who is a shameless ripoff of Jay from the Jane Silent Bob films. Oh, that's better. 
And there's a scene where he smokes weed with a really bad CGI slug Freddy. I'm also not a fan of the pinball Jason sequence as Freddy and Jason duke it out in the dream world. <laughs> Tilt. That's the worst version of what this movie could have been. But the main event, the fight at the end of the third act, I think lives up to the hype. And I like the decision to set it in the real world as Freddy is pulled out of the dreams because it's a world really where Jason is the one who's a little bit more invulnerable. And it's like a good fight. It goes back and forth. Freddy's winning. Jason's winning. Freddy's winning. Jason's winning. And it goes all the way to the end. Every time you think that one of them has definitively won, the other one has something to come back with until the very end of the fight spoiler alert for freddy versus jason but jason definitively wins this fight that last shot at the end where he's carrying freddy's head confirms it so it's not like you did a freddy versus jason movie where they go to the camera at the end and go like oh well they both won or oh who knows it's actually settled but you have that little thing at the end where freddy winks to the camera and laughs that makes you realize that perhaps there are more things to come in the future and i like that to date this is the last robert england freddy performance because he's allowed to have so much fun in a movie that seemed worthy of him doing that as a character. The only thing that really keeps this movie at number five for me on the Nightmare on Elm Street countdown is that while Freddy is integral and crucial to the plot, I think that it might be a little bit better of a Jason film than a Freddy movie. Freddy only has one kill in the film, and it's not really one of his strongest or most creative. I guess it would have to win Best Kill by default, but it's not even in my top 10 as far as Freddy kills go. So it's not so much that I don't like this movie. As a matter of fact, I think on the whole, I might like this a little bit more than the movie that's next on the countdown, but I think that this movie isn't as good of a Freddy movie as the other four movies that are ahead of it. So that's why I put it down at number five. This is, by the way, the bitchiest Freddy movie of all time. In addition to a couple of incidental uses, he's able to get out four direct bitches. Let me handle this bitch. Welcome to my world, bitch. Die, little bitch. Think you're so smart, huh, bitch? And when I'm picking the best Freddy line, I'm actually picking it for external reasons. I'm picking a line in the movie that's a real groaner for good and bad reasons the first time that Freddy sees Kelly Rowland's character. Freddy! How sweet. Dark. And the reason I'm picking that as the best line is not because I think that's necessarily Freddy's best line, but it did inspire a hilarious joke from Kumail Nanjiani. There's like a collective groan in the audience in the theater when I watched it. Like people were disappointed in Freddy Krueger. Like we're okay with you murdering children with your needle gloves. <laughs> but racism? So for inspiring that great joke alone, I will pick that as the best Freddy line of the movie. When I'm looking at Freddy's death in this movie, he actually gets his own insult thrown back at him. Welcome to my world, bitch! But I'm actually gonna combine that death with Jason shoving Freddy's glove through his chest because I think that effectively ended the fight and give this three claws out of four. By the way, this is the movie that Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 stole its last line from. It's because you're in my world now, bitch. As well as the swinging a sharp object at Freddy's head. And how dare you, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, how dare you steal Monica Kina's crowning cinematic moment. Freddy! Go to hell! 
Next up is number four on my list, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which, as I said, is maybe not as good a movie as Freddy vs. Jason, but it is absolutely insane. It contains some of the most creative Freddy dream slash kill sequences of any film in the franchise, and I really love watching it, almost exclusively for that reason. Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is directed by Rennie Harlan, who really set out to direct, like, a pop culture acid trip nightmare, and you can see that in almost every frame on screen. This is also the movie where the franchise completely hands itself over to Freddy Krueger. To me, this is the height of Freddy's pop culture iconography before the decline began in the next movie, and you'll love to see it. How sweet. Fresh meat. And nothing's really being taken seriously in this film. I mean, Freddy is revived by a dog digging up his bones and peeing on the grave, which brings Freddy back to life for some reason. Nobody's out to make any serious statement. And in an 80s slasher hallmark, in one of the more disappointing aspects for me of the movie, Freddy has to first dispatch of the characters that are left over from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So I was really sad to see characters like Kincaid and Kristen go, who was the main protagonist of the last movie. I also think that their deaths aren't very very good. At least with Joey, who was the third remaining kid from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, they give him a really cool death. I like Joey's waterbed death. The new kids aren't very memorable because they're really just here to be fodder for Freddy to hack and slash creatively. I think this movie actually shares the most common DNA with the Friday the 13th series, which regularly introduced new characters who were only there for Jason to kill. The style of this film, for me, is really what puts it over the top. Rennie Harlan wanted to make this look like the music videos that were dominating MTV at the time to really tap into the youth culture, and he succeeded, not in a cynical way. This may not be the best nightmare film, but it's arguably the best looking one. Rick, you little meatball. I love soul food. It's really a great use, and maybe the best use in the franchise, of the hallucinatory nature of dreams. But the kill sequences are top-notch in this film. They blend horror, comedy, and imagination so successfully. My second favorite kill in the movie is actually the character of Sheila, who's deflated by Freddy. Wanna suck the face? No. <laughs> This scene really carries a hint of his darker predatory nature, but also the fact that he likes to play games with his victims before he kills them. I do have to say, though, that this movie also contains arguably the worst Freddy kill of all time, the poor character of Rick, the karate kid who literally loses a fight against air. There's no Freddy present when he is killed. With a stronger story, I think this could have easily been the best nightmare film of all time, but these shallow characters and the somewhat lackluster plot are what keeps it down here at number four. But still a must-see, I think, for anybody who is looking to get into the Nightmare series. We only get one bitch in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which is directed at Alice close to the end of the film. I've been guarding my gate for a long time, bitch. When it comes to the best Freddy line of the movie, there is lots of competition. I bet everybody has a different one. For me, my favorite is his quip to Joey as he drowns him in his own waterbed. Oh, my God. 
How's this for a wet dream? <laughs> it's an even stiffer competition when it comes to best kill. You could name almost any of the kills in this movie as the best, and I wouldn't really argue with you. For me, my favorite, though, is the complex kill of Deb in this movie. First, Freddy breaks her arms while she's lifting weights, which is grotesque in its own right. Then he turns her into a roach, and she goes into a roach motel, which Freddy then picks up and looks into, and then squishes, and all this bug goo comes out of it. Again, just the imagination and the layers behind this, the creativity to come up with this, and then the execution, a combination of practical effects, some visual effects, really all came together to make this a memorable kill and my favorite of the movie. This movie also has what I think is the best Freddy Krueger death. There's a rhyme called the Dream Master that tells you how to defeat Freddy, which is that you have to make him see himself in a mirror. So Freddy sees his own reflection, which causes the souls of his victims inside to start breaking out of his body. They're stretching out of his chest and then they pull out of his skin and literally tear Freddy apart from the inside out and doing this releases all the tortured souls inside of Freddy. It is so well designed and executed. The makeup is great. The idea is just crazy enough to not be too crazy. And by all rights, this should have been the end of Freddy Krueger. They really should not have made any more movies after this, but you know, money. I'm giving the Freddy death in this movie four claws out of four. I think that it is the barrier that has not yet been broken in previous or later Freddy movies. It should also be noted as well that as was common practice in the 1980s, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4 contains an original rap song, including a rap verse from Freddy Krueger himself. This comes from the Fat Boys, and the song was called Are You Ready for Freddy? Which you can hear over the end credits. You see, my name is Freddy, and I'm here to say I'll rap you up and take you away. And as much as I enjoy watching A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, these three movies for me are easily the top tier of Nightmare on Elm Street films. This is honestly almost a co-tie for number one for me. I had to get very granular in figuring out why movies were at different rankings, etc. And my number three movie actually kind of surprised me because I'm ranking Wes Craven's New Nightmare at number three. And one of the things that I love about this movie is that after years of seeing his own character get driven into the ground, Wes Craven came back and took ownership of Freddy Krueger and made a movie that number one reestablishes Freddy and his sinister persona, that Freddy that Wes Craven first brought to the screen a decade earlier, and also addresses Freddy's transformation into a pop culture icon. And the approach to this movie is a really risky move that I think not only risked alienating audiences, but actually probably did alienate some of them because, again, this is very kind of cerebral. Freddy is this ancient thing. And for uh, 10 years, he's been held captive pretty much as Freddy in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, but now that the films have ended, genie's out of the bottle. It's a really interesting deconstruction of Freddy and where he is, both real and fake, and allows Craven to take the character back to its roots. And honestly, when I'm looking at the ranking of these movies, I think the thing that pushed New Nightmare to number three for me was the finale of the film. I get the idea and sort of this grand hellscape underworld thing. You're dealing with this big evil. So I understand what they're going for, but generally when I'm watching the movie, when we get to this point, I'm just sort of like, eh, the best of it's behind us. I think really it's just that it's a little silly with some of the effects and the Hansel and Gretel type ending that they have. I was really actually interested when Heather Langenkamp on screen was pulled back into the world of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I would have liked a way for her to have had to defeat Freddy, maybe using different 
parts of the different films and really kind of journeying through this franchise instead of kind of going back into the same kind of underworld thing that we'd seen in a lot of other horror films. Still, there are tons of legitimately creepy moments and scenes and familiar faces, a really nasty Freddy Krueger performance from Robert England, and I think a really clever concept, really the only legitimate way that I could see bringing Freddy back from the dead with the original cast. And even though this is a more grounded Nightmare on Elm Street film, the entity posing as Freddy, I guess, still gets out one bitch. Pick a pet for the rough rat, bitch. However, this is definitely not a quippy Freddy, so for me, the best Freddy line comes with really his grand introduction into the film, which is delivered both to Heather Langenkamp and maybe the audience itself. Miss me. Freddy also only directly kills two characters in the film, and for me, the best kill is easily kind of a riff, not a recreation of one of the better deaths from the original Nightmare on Elm Street, when Freddy drags the family babysitter up the walls of a hospital. We see in some shots Freddy, and then we see it from the point of view of other people where you can't see Freddy, and it's a great mix, and again, a really sinister Freddy Krueger moment. And when it comes to Freddy's death, it isn't that great. He's pushed into an oven, Hansel and Gretel style, and burned up and sort of turns into this cartoonish looking demon uh, before he explodes. I'll be a little generous and I'll give it the same one and a half stars that I gave Freddy's similar death in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I thought you killed Freddy off. The fans, you know, the fans, God bless them, they're clamoring for more. I guess evil never dies, right? At number two is a movie that a lot of people have said is the best nightmare on Elm Street sequel and i am inclined to agree and that is a nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors let's get this out of the way right now nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors has the best soundtrack of any nightmare film courtesy of 80s hair metal group dawkin Nightmare 3 is also, I think, the best synthesis of the two versions of Freddy. We carry over the sinister Freddy from the first two Nightmare films, but this is also the film where Freddy begins to toy with his victims even more with the elaborate kills that become the norm for the franchise. This is the movie where I think they really started letting Robert England rip with this character. This is it, Jennifer. You're big, bright, and TV. I think this movie also has a pretty solid story. A group of kids who are under psychiatric care because they're being menaced by Freddy in their dreams discover that they can fight back in the dream world. You have a great cast, Heather Langenkamp coming back, Patricia Arquette, who plays Kristen in this movie but is recast for the next movie. Lawrence Fishburne has a supporting role. This movie also has my favorite interpretation of how Freddy kills his victims. We see that in the dream world, they're very elaborate visual kills, but to the outside world, it looks like these teenagers are committing suicide and that allows Freddy to continue with free reign. I think one of the reasons this is maybe the best sequel is, first of all, Wes Craven was involved. He came on as a screenwriter. He co-wrote the screenplay and the story. There were other screenwriters, including Frank Darabont, who would go on to create some great stuff. And it's a movie that remembers that in order for you to be scared for the characters, you have to care about them. And so there's more than just the nominal efforts to let you know who these characters are. There are people in this movie that you don't want to see die, and you're sad to see them go, or you're afraid that they're going to die. 
And I think that that's what the best horror movies have. They're not just fodder for the mill. They're actual people that you care about. Visually, the aesthetic of this film is really great with some over-the-top sequences like Kristen getting eaten by a very psychologically complex-looking Freddy worm, one of the dream warriors turning into a wizard, but you also have more grounded effects like Nancy when she falls into the dream world. I love that she just falls into her chair and disappears. Or you have the sequence in the Hall of Mirrors. It's a very small hallway, which you have Freddy reaching out of the different mirrors. It's a very simple scare, but effective. I also love the origin story. A lot of times when you give a villain an origin story, it doesn't work. I think it works so well in this movie when you find out that Freddy Krueger is the byproduct of an assault on a nun by an entire asylum full of lunatics. And I so wish that they had just left it at that because it works perfectly in that line. Her child, Freddy, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Is so great. So yes, we do have a scary and evil Freddy Krueger, but we get some of the camp in this movie and it works. Freddy attacks Zsa, Zsa Gabor on television in a dream. He makes the decapitated head of Kristen's mom talk. God damn it, Kristen, you ruin everything. Every time I bring a man home, you spoil it. It's that sort of mix, and I think they get the balance here perfectly of playful and evil. Again, this is not a perfect film. I think that Nancy deserved a little bit better of a death than she gets in this movie. She's basically just tricked by Freddy and then stabbed. And there's some stuff that's cheesy in a bad way, like the stop-motion skeleton that attacks in the auto yard. But this mostly captures everything that I think makes the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise great, and it easily could have been my number one movie. Freddy's use of the word bitch originates in this film, and we get one example of it in written form on Joey's chest who would die in the next movie but this also contains perhaps the best and most famous use of freddy's bitches I think that also has to be my pick for best Freddy line of the movie. It's just so hard to top that. It's the mix of everything that makes a great Freddy line great. When it comes to best kill, again, that is a hard choice to make. Most people might pick the death with the TV, but I'm actually going with a different one where Freddy cuts the tendons out of one of the patients and uses it to control him like a puppet. And then he walks him up to a tower and drops him so that it looks like he committed suicide. That visual of the tendons and the guy moving moving around like a puppet and then Freddy overhead as a puppeteer and you see him slice the string. It's so scary and yet also bizarre and funny in a way. It's a great template for what the other movies would do and shows how much imagination you could have with Freddy Krueger. For such a great Freddy movie though, the death in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is pretty underwhelming. Freddy's bones are consecrated and then they just told Robert England, I guess, to just spin around a bunch and then a bunch of light shoots out of Freddy and he disappears. I'm gonna be very generous because I like this movie and give it two Freddy Claws out of four, but that may be overrating it too much. I'm sorry, kid. I don't believe in fairy tales. That brings us to our number one film, which if you've been doing the math at home by process of elimination, only leaves us with Wes Craven's original Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Is it a basic choice? Yes. But I also think watching all of these movies again, that for me, it is the right choice. And I think it comes down to the fact that there are really two kinds of horror films when you look at 
first entries in a franchise. There's the kind of horror film like Halloween that is so good that the other sequels are constantly struggling to measure up. And then there are the horror films like Friday the 13th, which I think lay the groundwork and basically set out a template for other sequels to build on. Honestly, as creative as the rest of the Nightmare films are, I think that Wes Craven's original Nightmare on Elm Street is more like Halloween. It is such a great movie that every other Nightmare film has been trying to replicate that success. It's really hard to find much fault with Wes Craven's original movie. Yes, there are some cheesy effects here and there, but I think it remains a remarkably solid horror film, establishing Freddy as a lethal boogeyman from the very first scene. Also, I want to give full credit to composer Charles Bernstein, who wrote Freddy's theme. I think it's one of the best horror scores and deserves to be in the same sentence as John Carpenter's score for Halloween. And while we're giving out accolades, I also want to shout out artist Matthew Joseph Peake, who did the poster not only for this Nightmare on Elm Street film, but the next four numbered sequels. The movies may have varied in quality, but every single one of these posters is fire. They are art, and I love the look of all of them. The key to this movie's success, though, outside of its technical achievements, is Nancy, who Heather Langenkamp plays really, really well. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And what I love about Nancy is that you really do get this vulnerability and innocence from her. And then like the best final girls, you grow with her along the movie until she ultimately is the one that defeats the villain. We also have, of course, a young Johnny Depp, one of the most famous early 80s horror roles, along with John Saxon, who plays Nancy's dad. Freddy in this movie is also more like a sinister, vagrant weirdo. Like, he has this sense of humor, but it's more things that are only funny to him and are really terrifying to his victims. Watch this. But the thing that I think makes Freddy work is that Robert England knew who this character was from the first second, and I think that the remake really shows that he is really irreplaceable. Come to Freddy. People like Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, they have masks on. You can bring in different people to be their bodies and they all have different qualities. But Freddy is one of the only movie monsters that is tied so closely to one person's ability as an actor. And Robert England will forever, I think, be Freddy Krueger. I don't see anybody playing the role as well as he did. And I love how scary they make Freddy in this movie. That shot of him coming out of the wall over Nancy's bed is the stuff of real nightmares. And in fact, this movie is packed with iconic and creepy moments that would be referenced, and in the case of the remake, just straight up duplicated across the entire franchise. And this is maybe the only movie until we get to, I'd say maybe New Nightmare, that's not really about Freddy. A lot of the other sequels, it's less about the human characters and more about where's Freddy, what's Freddy gonna do. This one is about these kids, about their parents, what did they do to make this happen? And then when Freddy comes on screen, he just soaks up every second of that screen time. And it all comes down to Nancy. First of all, she pulls a Home Alone six years before Home Alone even existed. So Kevin McAllister should really thank Nancy for a lot of those ideas. Maybe that was one of the movies Kevin watched that he shouldn't have been watching while his parents were gone. Guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. You better come out and stop me. But also, I love the fact that Nancy defeats Freddy not through force, but by basically sheer willpower, by willing herself not to be afraid of Freddy. I take back every bit of energy. I gave you. You're nothing. 
I like that idea, even if it is completely undone just a few minutes later by the ending of the movie. Listen, nobody really knew that this movie was going to get a sequel, so you have to go the twist ending route. I mean, really, there's not much else to say. A Nightmare on Elm Street is a classic for a reason, and I still enjoy watching it every single time. It birthed a franchise that has forever tried to reach the heights of this original. A few have come close, but for me, A Nightmare on Elm Street 1984 still stands at number one. There are no Freddy bitches in this movie, that comes later, and there aren't a whole lot of Freddy quips, but there is one of my favorite lines, which is when he is torturing Tina early in the movie before one of the more famous kills. Please, God. This is God. For the best Freddy kill slash death, I think I've got to go with Johnny Depp's demise, where Glenn is pulled into his bed and then a geyser of blood shoots out. It's great on a horror level, just the idea of sitting in bed and this claw coming out and dragging you down is very visceral. It's kind of similar to why Jaws is so scary. You're supposed to be safe, and then this danger comes from below that you can't see. And then just the technical achievement of that blood coming out, Stanley Kubrick would be proud. I love how it's all practical and the way that they were able to shoot that. Again, digital blood used in things like the remake, nowhere near as effective as what they achieved on this film. As for Freddy's death, I mean, I don't really know if it counts as a death, but it is his defeat in this movie. Again, maybe I'm being a little generous, but I'm going to lump in Heather Langenkamp's performance here, and even though the execution is pretty quick, I'm going to give Freddy's death in A Nightmare on Elm Street two and a half claws out of four. And in case you're watching this and you're a fan of the Nightmare movies or you want to get into them and want to get even more information about them after you've watched them, there's a great documentary that was made about 10 years ago called Never Sleep Again. It's a four-hour documentary, but that time flies by. I actually watched it before I'd seen a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, and that really inspired me to watch a lot of these movies that I hadn't seen and make me become even more of a fan of this franchise. So if you haven't seen Never Sleep Again, it is a really, really interesting documentary. They get interviews with almost everybody who was involved in the franchise, from the directors down to the smallest actors who were doing bit parts, memorable parts. It's really good. You can find it for rent on various different platforms, and I highly recommend it. So those are my rankings for the Nightmare on Elm Street series from number nine to number one. What did you think? I've got a lot more coming. I have a couple more tricks up my sleeve this Halloween season, so stay tuned here on the weekends. You may see me ranking some other series that have come up that I'm interested to look at. Maybe movies that aren't quite as good as Nightmare on Elm Street, but that I also enjoy watching on a different level. And stay tuned throughout this month and every month because I'm always doing news, reviews, box office every single week. Lots of fun stuff. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for watching. I'll be back very soon and until then, sweet dreams. Bitch.